It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, hurrah, boys, hurrah. Down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Thanks for staying tuned to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only on KNews FM 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases, and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional city ordinances and to represent both Republican candidates and the Democratic Party. I also represent farming, industrial, and commercial landowners. And I have served the Superior Court repeatedly as special master. On Slow County Public Policy and the Law, office holders, candidates, lawyers, journalists, and activists inform you about policies shaping your lives. That focus brings folks with differing points of view, without being attacked, to tell you about how they think your community can be improved even if I or station management disagree with a guest's ideas. In the last hour, I had a chance to talk with Karen Veely, investigative reporter for CalCoastNews.com. If you missed that segment, you can log on to KNews985.com. That's K-N-E-W-S-985.com. And get all the podcasts on the Slow County Public Policy and the Law webpage. This hour, I am so pleased to have Heather and Jennifer of Moms for Nuclear in the studio to talk about the future and benefits of nuclear power and Diablo Canyon. Welcome to the show, Heather, Jennifer. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We're excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Now, tell us about Moms for Nuclear. When when did that start? Well, um, Kristen Zates is the co-founder, and um, her and I decided to start Mothers for Nuclear back around 2016 on Earth Day. Actually, we founded the organization with the idea that we had kind of just learned about the potential shutdown of Diablo Canyon and realized that um, there's a big gap in nuclear communications in terms of who is messaging about the positive benefits of nuclear and mothers and women are typically not, you know, like getting the message that nuclear is a really big piece of our hope for addressing climate change and air pollution. And so we just decided to start the group to try and shift the public perception about nuclear and to talk about it differently. Okay. And, and it- Jennifer, is that when you got involved? Uh, yes, shortly after they founded the organization, um, they invited me to join as a member, and I've been working with them since then, and recently joined the board of the nonprofit to help uh, facilitate uh, wider communication of the mission. All right. Well, folks, this is your host, Stu Jenkins. You're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, and we have Heather and Jennifer of Mothers for Nuclear now. Well, now, Heather, you work at Diablo Canyon, don't you? I do. I've been there for 20 years now, which is, it's amazing to think how long it's been. And um, I also wanted to make clear that um, 
I'm here speaking for nuclear energy and for continued operation on behalf of my role at Mothers for Nuclear. I do not speak for the company that runs Diablo Canyon, even though I work for them. Okay. And, and uh, Jennifer, you don't work at the plant. Uh, no, I don't. But I am actually a nuclear physicist uh, by training and a professor at Cal Poly in the physics department. So uh, I have a lot of expertise in the area of nuclear physics and nuclear energy. So that's kind of how I got connected with the actions that we're doing. Now, when I went to Cal Poly in the last century, <laughs> um, the middle of the last century, I might add, there were there were some uh, nuclear materials on campus and uh, you know I, I remember we they were kept in a safe and you, you'd have them trotted out during science classes for certain things that still happen? Oh, yeah, we still do that. Um, we have a much smaller inventory of nuclear materials, at least for the physics department and the um, classes that we teach. But it's important for students to understand how to uh, measure and detect radiation and, and understand the sources. And, and so it is part of our curriculum. And I, I imagine that uh, part of that cur curriculum has to do with the uh, negative effects of radiation on the body and uh, doesn't it uh no not in the physics department i mean there's not really any um okay. issues like medical or or health related that we that we address yeah. in our classes okay and um now what are the goals uh, right now of mothers for nuclear well, one of the things we were doing just this morning, actually, is pretty excited, exciting and related to Cal Poly. They used to have a research reactor on site there at Cal Poly for uh -huh. students to you know, learn about how nuclear technology works. So that's pretty great. But um, recently, there hasn't been a whole lot of information about communicating with students and giving them information about nuclear. And so we were over there um, having a, a, a really good kickoff event for a potential student club to focus on nuclear and how it um, could be a good solution to climate change. And so one of the things we like to do is get more people involved in the movement, get more people talking about the positive aspects of nuclear energy. And the students at Cal Poly are a great audience. They're so curious and just wa want to know everything, you know, don't have any, you know, preconceived notions necessarily to, to deal with, you know, like lots of people kind of start start out being very skeptical and I was one of those it took me a long time to change my, my, my mind but um, whenever I talk with students I'm just always so refreshed at how curious they are and how much they want to learn and I want to tell our listeners not, neither of these people is glowing <laughs> in the dark but they are glowing with happiness we left our radioactive necklaces okay. at home today <laughs> <laughs> well I think when most people around here think about uh, Diablo Canyon uh, most of what they have heard has been from the demonstrations when it was first started uh, to oppose it or from um, lawsuits that have come up over the years to try to shut it down one way or another or uh, sometimes regulatory agencies like the um, California Water Resources Board uh, and the Coastal Commission have uh, weighed in and said that the cooling system is, for instance, uh, killing a lot of uh, ocean life. Um, so there have been a lot of uh, attempts to get PG&E from these agencies to build very expensive uh, mitigation uh, systems, which I think is, is what caused them to decide uh, that they weren't going to relicense for a while. Uh, have you 
have mothers for nuclear been involved in any of those uh, kinds of issues? Well, yeah, first of all, what you said about protests, that's definitely true. And our area still has the record, I think, in the country for one of the largest anti-nuclear demonstrations. So when the plant was being built and constructed, there was a lot of resistance locally, and there still has been over the last 40 years of operation. So um, one of the things that I did, you know, before starting Mothers for Nuclear and continuing is just ask a lot of questions. There's so many things like that. You mentioned the cooling water that sound like issues that we should care about, and we should, but they're they're often very complicated and hard to understand, and um, we really encourage people to keep asking questions. That's how I resolved a lot of my fears about nuclear and how I realized that just because something sounds really scary doesn't mean that it's actually dangerous. We have to always kind of ask ourselves the questions, like, does it matter? What's the actual impact? And so a lot of those things that you hear about, you hear the anti-nuclear groups trying to kind of spread fear about these issues. And when I looked into, you know, all those issues myself, I've been at the plant for 20 years now, so I have a, a lot of great opportunities to ask all these questions from people who know the answers. And, um, I just realized that a lot there's a lot of misinformation out there, and that's partly what we try and address with Mothers for Nuclear. Uh-huh. And I would say that, you know, especially with students who a lot of them come to Cal Poly from other parts of the state, they're not even aware that California has a nuclear power plant, let alone that it's in their backyard here in uh, San Luis Obispo uh, area. And so um, it's a great way to start a conversation with them, and they don't have any of those preconceived uh, ideas about whether it's bad or good. They just want to learn more. Um, and I think a lot of them care a lot about addressing the issues around climate change, and, and they do see it as a positive uh, in our attempts to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. Sure. The, the uh, You know, I think the analogy is a can of gasoline is pretty dangerous if you don't treat it right. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to know, well, in third grade, we were passing around uranium in class. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that was uh, <coughs> then, and uh, we, we were also playing with mercury, so in class. Uh-oh. But the, these are, uh, you know, as people learn how to deal with things, I know there's been a lot of uh, developments since Diablo Canyon was built. Uh, I, I, I'm sure at this point it's considered kind of a crude, out-of-date plant compared to some of the new designs, isn't it? Some people might say that. However, I like to say, um, yes, we've been continuing to innovate at the plant, continuing to upgrade and replace systems with better digital controls. There's been a lot of amazing improvements to the plant itself in addition to you know, continued development of new nuclear plants around the world, new types that are being built. Um, but yeah, Diablo Canyon's about, you know, we're in our almost our 40th year of operation. Nuclear technology hasn't changed that much mm-hmm. over the last 40 years. And it, it's still, um, you know, we have 96 power plants in our country. 88 of them have already started the process for relicensing for additional runtime beyond 40 years, mm-hmm. and 11 have even gone for a second relicensing, which would extend the life of a plant from 60 to 80 years. So these plants are built very robust and um, just 
reliable and they work as is. And um, I think we, we continue to see that with the relicensing process, that we can keep running these plants and keep generating a lot of clean power even though we kind of invented, you know, atomic electricity back in the 50s, oh, it yeah. still works pretty well. Yeah, it, it is an American invention after all. The, uh, the, the one thing that, um, well, I have a relative who actually went to work out at the plant and was uh, very uh, opposed, frankly, to all the safety concerns that uh, this relative had. But... Um, they started researching all the plants around the country and the accidents uh, that each had had and uh, the reported incidents and and uh, they were surprised to learn that Diablo Canyon was the safest plant in the entire United States according to those records uh, which which did a lot to make them feel more comfortable there um, now recently with the relicensing there's been a number of lawsuits brought um, Natural Resources Defense Fund and uh, Mothers for Peace brought a couple of them. Um, were, was your organization involved in that, or is that just between PG&E and uh, the uh, PUC and the NRC? Yes, the second. We don't really get involved with legal issues and even you know regulatory issues since um, Kristen and I work for Diablo Cain, and it's kind of one of those fine lines that we don't cross. We don't get involved in legal battles or kind of like the regulatory decisions. So you're just able to come out and talk uh, when you're not on the job? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you're not being paid by the company to do this? Not at all. And as I mentioned earlier, okay. we were kind of advocating for the opposite of what our company wanted for seven years. So <laughs> definitely not getting paid by them. <laughs> well, Jennifer, you mm-hmm. you know, you're in the physics department at Cal Poly. Um are are there developments in nuclear power that you've observed that are are coming along in the future that you think are going to be uh, beneficial? I mean, when I was a kid, we were all sure we were going to have nuclear-powered automobiles by, uh, you know, the turn of the century. Sure, yeah. No, there's a lot of innovation going on in the nuclear space. Um, different kinds of uh, next generation reactors are have been under development for a long time not because the current uh, technology needs to be replaced but that it's important to continually innovate in any field just to improve efficiency and as you learn more you you learn how to do things better Um, I think also uh, there's a lot of innovation going on for uh, building small modular reactors which would be something you could deploy uh, you know at a smaller scale for Uh, a small community that's uh, very isolated that needs a reliable power supply without fossil fuels Uh, those are going to be a game changer at some point when when the technology matures Uh, and I'm just excited to see all the innovation that's going on and I direct a lot of my uh, students and graduates to uh, look into career opportunities in in a lot of those companies uh, particularly in the Bay Area oh my yeah, uh, you just you just flashed a picture in my head of small nuclear power plants all around the Bay Area, um, and and I'm thinking of my many friends in the Bay Area who would be a little shocked. It's going to be so <laughs> great, Stu. Um, just wait for this brilliant future where we have plentiful, reliable, clean energy for everyone who needs it. We don't have to keep you know like turn off all your appliances between five and nine p.m. You know that really. Those programs impact people in a 
you know, disadvantaged communities in larger ways than they impact the rest of us. And so we're really big advocates of bringing more clean energy to people so that we can have a better quality of life, Mm -hmm. so that we can use electricity when we need it, so we can charge our electric cars when we need to, you know, when we get home from work. And um, nuclear is going to be a huge key to that. And some of those little plants that you're going to see popping up around, maybe not in California quite yet, are ones that can use used fuel from existing power plants. So when we use um, uranium in our existing power plants like Diablo Canyon, there's still about 95% of the potential energy left over when we're done using the fuel. So these new yeah. power plants could take that fuel and make more clean electricity with it, which is really exciting. Well, and w- Would that need to be repar- reprocessed to reconcentrate it, or would it just be something that could be shipped to a different, uh, more efficient little plant? Uh, no, usually that, that fuel has to be reprocessed before it can be put into uh, a reactor that's that's able to use it. But one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we, we like to reuse existing infrastructure so we don't have to build new infrastructure. And one of the programs that I'm really excited about, the Department of Energy has a program to convert a coal-fired power plant to nuclear power plants. Really? Uh, and you would substitute the coal furnace that, that boils the water for the mm-hmm. generator with a small modular reactor. And uh, there's a lot of sites across the country that would make great uh, candidates for this uh, program. And so that's still in the development phase. But I think in the future, that's that's a way that we can make a transition from fossil fuels to nuclear that would uh, support those communities so they would not lose that the the jobs and the infrastructure in their uh, area, and would reuse existing infrastructure without having to build new transmission and new infrastructure. Well, that's very intriguing, Jennifer. And uh, folks, uh, you're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law. You're listening to Jennifer and Heather, who are with Mothers for Nuclear. This is your host, Stu Jenkins. Jennifer, I had a, a question based on that a lot of the objections to nuclear power is not that it's not reliable, it's not that it's not clean as far as uh, no uh, gases going up into the air, at least not many. Uh, The one thing is safety, and the biggest concern most people voice about safety is what to do with the spent fuel. I know France and some of the European countries have done a lot of research to develop uh, better, safer reprocessing plants. At least I've I've read that. Uh, Have we got anything like that here? That's number one in the question. And number two, don't you hate that when you get two, (laughs) is the Department of Energy uh, encouraging this as part of the bipartisan infrastructure plan? Oh, you might be asking me something outside of my ability to answer. Um, You know, I think we don't currently do fuel reprocessing for commercial electricity generation in this country. Um, I think that's something that we may do in the future um, to utilize that spent fuel. Um, And I know the Department of Energy, you know, has an interest in pursuing that, um, but it's not a current uh, something that's happening currently. Um, The second question you asked was about... If the Department of Energy is trying to reuse coal plants and turn them Mm -hmm. into nuclear plants because they they have all of the... everything except the heating element Mm -hmm. um, uh, for generating electricity, 
Is that part of the uh, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act uh, funding that was uh, just passed, what, a year and a half ago? I don't think that was specifically in the um, the Infrastructure Act, but uh, or the, sorry, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, but I believe that's been an ongoing program that DOE okay. has been pursuing. And I think they would certainly leverage any uh, funding or, um, you know, ability to, to utilize some of those same resources for that. Uh, but I don't believe it was tied specifically to that. And Jennifer, since you're a professor at Cal Poly in the physics department, is Cal Poly uh, pursuing uh, any kind of programs or, or grants that would allow them to help the nation develop reprocessing plants that were safe and clean and, and, and weren't going to let radiation out where it could hurt or kill somebody? Uh, no, not as an institution. I think individual faculty who pursue research programs in that area are free to apply if, if that's the uh, area of research that they mm -hmm. are working on. Uh, I am not aware of specific faculty that are there now who are doing that, but that's always a possibility in the future. Okay. All right. Well, um, now, there's a whole lot of spent fuel just sitting out there right now. And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, one of the concerns everybody has is that it's going to leak out of those containers or that somebody's going to steal it. Um, and I think we're coming up on a break, so we'll be getting back to that. But um, Heather, do you, do you have some information on that spent fuel and what's being done to protect people from it? Oh, yes. I have so many thoughts about this. Um, one of the things we like to say at Mothers for Nuclear is spent fuel, used fuel from a nuclear reactor, is actually one of the best kinds of waste. It's completely contained. It's very small for the amount of clean power that we got out of it. And it's never hurt anyone or anything. It kind of just sits there. So I, I know that might sound a little extreme to some people. It took me a long time to kind of get to that opinion and that conclusion. Well, how, so, how is it contained? Um, well, specifically, the uranium pellets are still in the same fuel assemblies that, you know, were originally constructed to go into the reactor and be, you know, fissioned. Um, the material stays in the fuel assembly during the, the heat generation process. So um, the fuel assemblies, after they're, they're used um, in the plant, they're put into dry cask storage. And we're going to have to come back to this. Okay. So be sure and stay tuned after the news, folks. You're listening to Heather and Jennifer with Mothers for Nuclear here at Slow County Public Policy and the Law. Be right back after this news break. 